Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. As you can tell, I have something in my throat or head. And so uh, I'm full of the Holy Spirit and medication. Matthew 18. As you can see, the, the title for the sermon this morning is the basics, the basics of forgiveness. And we touched on forgiveness last week. And as I meditated on that and, and spoke to some individuals, I realized it might be helpful for us to consider forgiveness and go more in depth into it. And so we're going to consider that from Matthew 18. Verse 15 through 35, and really you could summarize this passage of scripture like this. Forgiven people offer forgiveness. Forgiven people offer forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, look down in verse 15. I'm going to read down through verse 35. Quite a long text, so you'll have to follow along. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by your father, by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, 
he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servant saw that he had taken, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to understand the grace that you offer and the forgiveness that you give to those who believe in you. And may, Lord, those of us who are forgiven, may we offer forgiveness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 18, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to reconcile relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ through forgiveness. He was teaching them to offer the gift of forgiveness so that the relationships could be reconciled. If you look in verse 15 through 20, you can see in those verses that Jesus called the church to pursue reconciliation through forgiveness. And then in verse 21, Peter piped up and look at verse 21. He asked, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jewish tradition said that you only needed to forgive someone three times. Then after that, you could be done. And so Peter, for good measure, he throws in an extra four He puts it to the perfect number of seven, to the number of perfection. And he says, what if I forgive seven times? Is is that all I have to do? And Jesus said, no. Notice what Jesus said. He said, verse 22, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus was saying, you never stop forgiving. You keep on forgiving. And why is that? What is the truth? that renews our mind when we are sinned against and moves us to forgive one another. And that's the truth that God in Christ has forgiven us. And we saw this last week in in Ephesians chapter three, that we are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. The parallel passage in Colossians 3.13 says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Christ taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so we must follow God's pattern of freely offering grace and offering forgiveness to those who sin against us. And so forgiven people offer Forgiveness, that's what this text is teaching. 
And after this story, this parable, Jesus taught or told, that's what this parable taught. That if you are forgiven, if you truly understand the grace of God, then you will forgive. You see, the man in the story here was a king. This king owned or ruled over some type of government, some type of country. And he had servants underneath him. And you shouldn't think of these servants as, as servants who wash the floors or they row boats. These are, these are servants who have leadership positions in the government. In the ancient world, high officials in government were called the king's servants. So these were governors, satraps. These are ones that were, would be overseeing uh, swaths of land within that country. They would be required and appointed by the king to, to build roads and oversee government buildings and oversee government uh, officials. And often they would get a loan from the king so they could do that. And they would collect taxes so they could pay the king back. Well, a certain one of these men, he borrowed and he borrowed and he borrowed. And evidently it was wicked because he, he, he borrowed so much he could never pay it back. In fact, in, in verse number 24, we see that he borrowed 10,000 talents. Now we think about that, like, well, what is that? Well, one talent equaled 15 years of wages for the average worker in the first century. So if you were to do the math, 10,000 talents is 150,000 years of wages. And if you were to average the average person's lifespan, that would be over 2,000 lifespans in order for him to pay this back. In other words, this is a debt that he could never, ever pay back. It's impossible. In today's calculation, it would be the equivalent of $7.5 billion. And so obviously this was an unpayable debt and the king ordered for him to be thrown into prison because of this debt. I mean, it's what, he was foolish, right? This wasn't just like a couple of pennies. This was a man who was wasteful, wicked. But then this man, then this man begged the king, begged the king for patience. And in verse 27, the Bible says the king forgave him the debt. It went from 10,000 talents to zero. I mean, that's grace, right? And so the first part of this story illustrates how God has forgiven us. We have a debt that we could never repay. We could live 2,000 lifetimes and try to be as good as possible. We could never repay the debt because we've sinned against a holy God, a holy eternal God. And it would take eternity to pay him back. And even that wouldn't work. No amount of work, no amount of good works or lifetimes could ever pay for our sins. But the Bible says that God is rich in mercy and in grace provided through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So God offers release from that debt when a person repents and believes. And he gives the gift of forgiveness to those who receive Christ. And only ones, only those who repent and believe receive the gift of forgiveness. So last week we saw this 
Let me put this definition up here again. And if you didn't hear last week's sermon, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it. Forgiveness is God's promise that when you repent and believe in Christ, he will not hold your sins against you. And then I didn't put this in there last week, but this is important. But reconciles you to himself. Because that really is the, the result of forgiveness, that he removes the debt of sin against you. And, and really the purpose is to reconcile you to God, to give you a, an eternal relationship with God without sin hindering that relationship. So Jesus' point to Peter was we must forgive as God forgives. Forgiven people offer forgiveness. But the rest of the parable tells about a man, this man who was forgiven, and he had someone else that owed him money. It was probably around $20,000. That's 100 denarii, about $20,000. So it's a significant amount of money, but he was unwilling to forgive that man for that debt. And the king, becoming aware of this, was angry. And look at verse 35. Here's the whole point of this passage. The king throws that man in prison because he was unwilling to forgive. And verse 35 says, So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So the point of this parable is that if you truly understand the grace of God, if you truly have been forgiven by God, then you will extend that grace. You will forgive one another. Forgiven people offer forgiveness. So how are you to offer forgiveness like God does? Well, really verse 15 through 20 answers that. We're going to see from these verses some basics of forgiveness this is the definition I gave you last week for our forgiveness that we are to extend to other people or that we are to seek from other people. And that is your forgiveness is a promise that when a, a person, really a repentant person, when a person confesses sin against you, you will not hold that sin against that person, which is hindering the relationship. And I put that last part in there again to show that the purpose of forgiveness is to reconcile, to restore the relationship. So this is a very good, I think, definition for you to keep with you, especially if you're thinking through different individuals who have sinned against you or you've sinned against someone else. Think about what forgiveness is. Your forgiveness is a promise that when a person confesses sin against you, you will not hold that sin against that person, which is hindering the relationship. And so let's look at some basics of forgiveness. Basics of forgiveness. First of all, the need for forgiveness. Forgiveness is needed because sin separates relationships. Forgiveness is needed because sin separates relationships. And it's so important for us to understand that it's sin we're talking about. Not your opinion not just a difference between you and someone else. You like dark meat turkey. Someone else like white meat turkey. You want to put the toilet paper one way. Someone wants to put another way. We're not talking about differences of opinion. We're talking about sins against God and therefore sins against other people. We're talking about sins like you lie to someone. 
We're talking about, we're talking about sins like you're lazy at, at work. We're talking about sins that you are sinfully angry or you speak harsh, demeaning words. Those types of sins. And those sins separate relationships within the church, within, within, uh, within, the home, within homes between brothers and sisters in Christ. So forgiveness is needed because sin separates relationships. And all of us could think about relationships that have been damaged and hurt because there's sin involved. It could be a marriage or a friendship or a church. And so that's why forgiveness is needed. In fact, look at verse 15. You can see that. Verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, so here you have this conflict, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So notice the goal of forgiveness there is that you want to gain your brother, to reconcile the brother to yourself and and truthfully reconcile that believer to God as well. And so the, the need of forgiveness is because sin separates. The number two, the goal of forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation of the relationship, is reconciliation of the relationship. And we saw that you desire to gain your brother. That's, that's, that's the purpose of forgiveness. It's restoring a person to spiritual wholeness so he or she can be restored to fellowship with God and fellowship with you and other believers in the church. God's work to forgive is for the purpose of reconciling us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself, that's God, through Christ. And then notice what our ministry is here. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that we are on earth and we now proclaim the name of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, so we are ambassadors for Christ. We're his representatives here. And as God is pleading through us, we are pleading with other people. Literally, we are begging you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I mean, that's what we're doing in our community and with our friends. We're saying, listen, God has provided his son. Be reconciled to God. And it's not just unbelievers. This is actually the joy of the church. We get to be unified with Christ and united with one another in the body of Christ. And so our great delight and joy is this unity that is provided by the reconciliation of us to God and to one another through Jesus Christ. And so this is a ministry that we have ongoing here. This is one of our great delights as a church, is that we get to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. But sin, when it enters into our relationships and into our church, it breaks that unity. Sin is like a poison in the well of the church and only a little bit of sin can contaminate, can can poison the well and can kill the church. So Galatians chapter six, verse one, encourages us that we need to make sure that if someone's caught up in a sin, if someone's caught up in a transgression, 
You who are spiritual, that is, those who are walking in the spirit, should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. And so this is the calling God has given to us as a church. Our, our role is not to walk away, but it's to pursue. Matthew 5, 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and remembering that your brother has something against you, you're praying and in your mind you remember, oh, there's a sin that is between me and that brother. What are you to do at that moment? Leave your gift there before the altar. First be what? Reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So notice the priority here is reconciliation. And that's what, that is what should motivate us to sit down with someone and have a difficult conversation. And, and nobody wants to have difficult conversations, right? I mean, nobody wants to do this. This is not something that any sane person gets up in the morning and wants to have a difficult conversation. But you should want to do it if the goal is reconciliation. Why? Because you love that person. You want the person to be reconciled to God. You want the person to be reconciled to the church. In parents, this is why we do the difficult work of sitting down with our children and talking to them about their sin, right? Because we want them to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's our goal. Paul, the apostle, he practiced this. We see this in Galatians 2, 11. With Peter, he says, the scripture says, when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So Peter showed favoritism to the Jews and it hurt the Gentiles in the church. And so Paul went to Peter and, and talked about this directly to his face. And why did he do that? Because he loved Peter. He wanted Peter to be reconciled to God, but also he loved the church and he wanted Peter to be reconciled to those Gentile believers. So the goal for Paul was reconciliation. Or think about Philippians chapter two. There was two ladies in the church, Yodius and Syntyche, and they were at odds with each other. And Paul said, hey, be of the same mind. Be reconciled to one another. Walk in unity and love. Church, if someone has sinned, if someone has sinned, we need to love that person enough to restore that person to fellowship with God and with the church. But here's the sad reality. In the American church, most people, or I should say most, many people get hurt and they just leave. And for those people, the goal in the relationship they had with the local church was to be a consumer. They came to get what they wanted. And then once they didn't get something they wanted, something was bad, then they decided they were just going to leave. They treat the church like a, a restaurant. I go there to get the good coffee. And then once I don't like the coffee, I, I leave a bad review and just go to another another restaurant. But the church is not a restaurant. We're not consumers here. The church is a relationship of believers who are in covenant with one another. The local church is an assembly of Christians in a covenant of discipleship. 
There's, there's a relationship we have that's a covenant relationship. And so when we sin against one another, when someone sins against you, we don't run away. We run to those people. We run together and seek to restore. And let me just say as a side note, there are times to leave a local church, particularly if there's a doctrinal difference or if there's a philosophy of ministry difference, there are times when that is appropriate. But I would say even with that, you should be transparent and you should communicate and not just walk away. My experience is that there is probably someone listening to my voice right now and you're agreeing with me, but at some point, there's gonna be a relationship problem you're gonna have. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And you're gonna say, I'm done, I'm out of this church, I'm not talking to people. I hope that doesn't happen. I pray that doesn't happen. I don't know of any situation right now that's a potential that it could happen. But I'm saying that because I want you to know this right now. I want you to know, have this in your conscience that if you leave because someone sinned against you or you leave because you have a relational divide with someone else and you don't seek reconciliation, you are outside of God's will. Like it's, it's wrong. It's wicked actually. And you say, how can you say it's wicked? That's the whole point of this passage. Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to reconcile and forgive and, and seek that really reconciliation through forgiveness, you're a wicked servant. Do, do you realize in Matthew chapter 18 here, the, the person who's treated as an unbeliever, person who's treated as a tax collector, right? The very end of, of verse 20, that person is a person who's not wanting to reconcile. God's will is to reconcile relationships through confession of sin and forgiveness. So the goal of forgiveness is the reconciliation of the relationship. So notice verse number 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So notice here the condition of forgiveness. What's the condition of forgiveness? You see, forgiveness has a condition. For God, it's repentance and faith in Christ. And for our Christian relationships, it's repentance. It's confession of your sin. So the condition of forgiveness is repentance demonstrated by confession of sin. So notice, you tell the person, you have some type of conversation with the person where you tell them the fault. This is, this is the sin that's between us. And that person has an opportunity to confess their sin and you have an opportunity to forgive them or vice versa. And it should be done in a spirit of gentleness. That's what Galatians says, restore in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore is the word that's used sometimes to set a broken bone. So it's painful. It's not that it's easy, but it should be done in a, in a gentle way, as, as gentle as possible. Even scripture, oops, let me go back. The scripture says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25, that the Lord's servant must correct his opponents with gentleness. Well, why would he do that? 
Well, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So the desire there is repentance. So that's the condition of forgiveness is that there is repentance of sin. Confession that is demonstrated or repentance that is demonstrated by confession of sin. Luke 17, 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's the conversation. If he repents, notice it's conditional. If he repents, forgive him. To repent means that you change your way of thinking, which leads to a change of direction of life. This past week, I was at Ironwood Camp, a camp we support, and I was with my family and another pastor's family, and they gave us two four-wheelers, like single-seat four-wheelers, and we were able to go out in the desert and go on these trails, and it was probably one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. And we were zooming along these trails. Well, at one point, the guy in front of me was on his four-wheeler, and uh, we had our boys in the back. He had his boy in the back, and I had Isaac in the back of mine. And he went out in this open dirt area, but it was still a little wet, and it was clay. So he went out, and he got stuck. And I was zipping towards him, and I repented. Like, I had a change of thinking. I'm not going to go out there. And I took another path, and I took another direction. That's repentance. It's a change of thinking, which leads to a change of direction. So what he's saying here is that if your brother repents, if he has a change of thinking, it's like, I was wrong in what I did, and I don't want to do that again. That's repentance. It's a change of thinking that, that changes the direction that you go. And so true repentance is not just feeling bad. True repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. And, and, and the world and, and some Christians think of it that way. That, oh, I'm going to reconcile this person, so I'm just going to say, I'm sorry. Or, I'm sorry I hurt you. You ever heard that one before? Andrew, Governor Andrew Como was reported to sexually harass three women. And this was his response when he was discovered and he announced on TV, I'm sorry that I made people feel uncomfortable. Can you think about that? Here's his confession. I'm sorry that I made people feel uncomfortable. Where is he putting the responsibility for his sin? Upon other people. See, when you say, I'm sorry, that hurt you. Basically, you're saying, I'm sorry that you're the problem, <laughs> that you have some tender feelings here. Or I apologize. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't, can I just tell you, it doesn't mean anything. It's not true repentance. It's not just saying you're sorry. The world feels sorry for their sin. They do. They, not necessarily for their sin against God, but they feel sorry for their, the consequences for their sin. Andrew Como, Como he felt sorry for his sin. He got, felt sorry that he was caught. <laughs> he felt sorry that he was embarrassed, right? So there's a sorrow, but it's not a sorrow that leads to repentance. The scripture talks about this. For godly grief, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Which, whereas worldly grief, worldly sorrow produces death. So the world does have a sorrow. And it's like, I'm sorry that the sin hurt you. I'm sorry that I, that I got caught. But the scripture says that's not repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking 
which leads to a change of direction. In the, first, in the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul addressed a man in the church who was immoral with his mother-in-law. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul told the church, you need to confront this man because he's living in open sin and the church wasn't doing anything about it. They pretended like it was okay. And so the church was to do what? They were to confront this man with his sin and if he repented, to forgive him. And so between the letters of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they did that. They confronted him in his sin. He did not repent. They removed him from the church. But later on, he came back. He confessed his sin. The church forgave him, and he was restored to fellowship. Now, some people hear this, and they hear what we're talking about in this text, and it really makes them uncomfortable. Because they don't think that this is a really kind way to deal with things. They don't think this is really the best way to go about things. But here's the question we all have to ask when we go to the scriptures. Am I going to trust my way and my way of thinking? Or am I going to trust God, his way, in his approach to restoration? And so this is talking about restoring a person who's unrepentant in their sin. And notice what happened in 2 Corinthians. This man repented. He said he was sorry. He left his sinful relationship. And Paul wrote to them saying, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So notice forgiveness took place after repentance. That's what Paul is saying here. You need to now forgive him. He's repented, so forgive him. So the condition of forgiveness is repentance demonstrated by confession of sin. Many times, Christians, when they're sinned against, they respond like this. Well, I don't really want to talk to that person, but I forgive them. I can't tell you how many times in ministry I have heard that. Someone, a pastor, they're offended because a pastor said something, or maybe a deacon sinned against them in some way, or, or maybe someone in the church, they have a broken relationship, and they say, I'm not going to talk to the person, but I forgive them. Can I tell you, that is not God's forgiveness. That's not how it works. How can you forgive if that person doesn't acknowledge the sin and confession and commit to turning from it? You can't forgive them. That's not God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift that must be received by the one who repents. If that person doesn't acknowledge his or her sin, then he is not receiving forgiveness and you can't give forgiveness. And so we should never think of that way. We should never think this way. Think, well, I'm not going to talk to the person. I'm just going to forgive them. Well, let me ask, what's the goal of forgiveness? What's the goal? Reconciliation. And when you do that, when you say, I'm not going to talk to that person, you're saying, I'm not going to reconcile that person, but I'm going to forgive. See how that doesn't make any sense? that's That's the point of forgiveness. It's so there can be reconciliation. So forgiveness offers the gift of removing all barriers to the relationship 
And so if that sin has not been confessed and forgiven, the barrier still remains. And that's why there's people that have, have left relationships with you and other situations, and, and they say, I forgive you, but there's still a barrier there, isn't there? It needs to be dealt with. The Corinthian man that was immoral with his mother-in-law could only be forgiven by the church and be reconciled to the church after his confession of repentance. This is, what, this is how God forgives. Scripture says, Acts 13, 39, by him, that's Christ, everyone who believes is freed, is forgiven from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. It's, it's Acts 26, 18. So that they may turn from darkness to light, that's repentance, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. It's when a person repents and believes. So when someone sins against you, or let me reverse it and say, when you sin against someone, you need to say what you did against them. I sinned against you by doing this, by lying to you. I sinned against you by taking something that was not mine. And then ask, will you forgive me? What about a person who doesn't want to talk to you? Or a person who won't confess their sin as sin. What are you to do in the meantime? Well, I think it's good for us to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Remember that text of scripture. Remember in that text of scripture, the, the word forgive is a different word. It's the word for graciousness, which I think is the extension of the offer of forgiveness. God offers grace to all, but he only forgives those who believe in Christ. We offer grace to all, but we only forgive those who confess and turn. But, but, the, but the hand is still out. It's like, here's the offer of forgiveness. It's like, I'm holding it out. And it gets tiring to do that, right? For a person who says, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to confess that as a sin. You say, it, it was wrong what you did, and I'm willing to forgive you. Ultimately, you're giving it to the Lord. I would say it this way. It's a spirit of forgiveness. This is the spirit that Christ had on the cross when he was suffering and there was those abusing him, spitting on him, mocking him. And what was his prayer on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Was his prayer a prayer that granted forgiveness to everybody? Was it like at that moment, boom, you know, 300 people were forgiven of their sins. Is that what happened? No. It was a prayer to God that those people listening to him and really abusing him would find forgiveness from the Father when they repented and believed in Christ. And you know what? It's cool. God actually answered that prayer request because there was a criminal next to him. And a couple verses later says that this one turned to Christ in faith and God and Christ gave him the reconciliation to God through his death on the cross. Because Jesus said to him, this man, Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. So we know there's at least one there that God answered that request of Jesus for forgiveness. In fact, there was another one in Luke 23, 47, a centurion saw what took place. And he said, certainly this man was innocent. And we would assume that this centurion was trusting in Christ. Of course, we don't really know his heart. 
But the point is, Jesus' prayer didn't release anyone from their sin. He was praying they would find forgiveness. This was this spirit of forgiveness, this offer of grace to those who repent and believe. And then that's the condition. And then the steps of forgiveness, the steps, I should say, toward forgiveness. What are those steps? Well, first, you're to go personally. Then if there's no repentance, get help. And if there's no repentance, then then gather the church. Notice verse number 15, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now look at this on the screen up here. I want you to think about this, these conversations as taking place within concentric circles. And this first circle is you and that other believer. And there's a sin between you. So this verse, verse 15, is very clear that if someone sins against you, then you are to talk to that person alone. To go outside of that is actually to sin, is to gossip. And then what if that person doesn't confess their sin and recognize their sin? Well, go get help. And that's what verse 16 says. But if he does not listen, in other words, he refuses to acknowledge his sin, Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So notice what's happening here. The the circle gets bigger. You include two or three other trusted church leaders. Does this mean that you should go tell everybody? No, it's pretty clear, right? There there should be a a circle of knowledge that knows about this, a circle of people that, that help deal with this. What if that person still continues to not acknowledge their sin? Well, I think it could extend out to maybe four or five or whatever, but eventually at some point, it goes to the local church. So this isn't something we're announcing on the news or putting on social media, but the church gathers together. You can see that in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, that's that one or two. So the sin is clear, that person will not repent. Tell it to the church. Gather the church. The point isn't to shame the person. The point is there's a person who's unrepentant and we all together want to so love this person that we want to see this person reconciled to God and to the church. And then notice verse 17. If he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile, as an unbeliever. And so what happens next is that you treat this person like an unbeliever. And so you can notice the on the screen, the circle of the local church, that person is out, outside of the fellowship of the local church. And again, it's not because you hate this person. It's because you want this person to be restored to fellowship with Christ and his church. Is this mean? Is this cruel? No, this is loving because the most loving thing you could do for someone is to have them be in the fellowship of Christ. The most hateful thing you can do to someone is to say, who cares? Go on your way. Make your own choices. Ruin your life. We don't want to treat people that way. But notice verse 17. What's very interesting here is that person that is refusing to be reconciled is treated as an unbeliever. What this verse is teaching us here is people who are unforgiving are people who are unbelieving. You get that? 
So if, if you in your life have relationships, you're like, I'm not going to reconcile that person. I do not want to talk to that person. And again, it's, it's not on their end. It's on your end. You're, you're the one saying, I will never talk to them. That's what unbelievers do. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We want to have reconciled relationships. That's what God has called us to. And then last, the promise of forgiveness. You will not hold that sin against that person which would hinder the relationship. In other words, you're, you're opening up your arms to that person in relationship. You will not hold that sin against that person. This includes not meditating on the person's sin, not, not using their sin to punish them, not bringing up their sin to hurt them. Forgiveness is a promise. It's a commitment you're making. I will not use that sin to be put between us so our relationship is hindered any longer. And I think it's good for us to note here that there could be remaining natural consequences to sin. If a person was arrested of a crime and they went to prison, that person in prison may ask God to forgive them. And guess what? God forgives them forever. And he, he may even write a letter or talk to someone and say, I'm asking the church to forgive and, and the church should forgive. But the consequences of being in prison still remain. God doesn't necessarily remove all earthly consequences from your sin. Or you think about it this way, if there was a person in the church that was embezzling money, they were counting money and they were taking it for themselves, and it was discovered, or maybe this person even just confessed it, hey, I want you to know I've been stealing money from the church. We should, as a church, forgive them. I've been a part of a situation where that happened. We forgave that person. But also, we would go to the police. They broke the law. So there would still be earthly consequences, even though we say, hey, we're not going to allow this sin to be between us and our relationship, but we're still, there's still earthly consequences for it. So, so forgiveness is not saying there's no earthly natural consequences. And also forgiveness is different from trust. Trust is gained through proven character. Our, our leaders in our church, teachers, pastors, they have proven character. And that's why they're in those positions. And if they don't have proven character, then they step down and they don't do that. We can still forgive someone who sinned against us, but if they don't have proven character, they don't remain in those positions of trust. But forgiveness continues to freely remove all barriers without any conditions by releasing that person from that sin that's between us. So how can you possibly forgive? I don't know if you've been thinking through maybe a, a certain situation or scenario in your life. How can you possibly forgive that person who sinned against you? Well, forgiven people offer forgiveness. Look to the cross, what Christ did for us. Look to the Father and what he gave to you when you believed the gospel. He removed the debt of your sin completely. So may God give us grace to forgive others in the way God has forgiven us. May God give us grace to be humble when we sin so that we can ask for forgiveness and seek that reconciliation. Friend, you may be in here today, we're talking about forgiveness, and you may not know Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you don't, then you're not forgiven. If you've never received 
the gift of forgiveness by repentance and faith, then you are not forgiven, but God freely offers it. His hand is strong and he can save. And so would you believe the gospel this morning? Would you believe what Christ has done for you and receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Let's pray.